Hey everybody, Luke from the Bearded Chat here. Today we have two amazing guests, but first of all I want to apologise for the last two weeks. We haven't dropped any new episodes and that's because I actually run a real fucking company. Actually, I run two real companies. And also our guests have been flat out as well, because um, as you know it's really crazy times. But thank you for your patience, we, ha- we are still going to be dropping episodes. Um, but sometimes we might have some delay because, again, I run real fucking businesses and our guests who uh, we invite on also do as well. So thank you for your patience. Today we have on our podcast, episode five of the Data Chat, two incredible people. Uh, they are ex-Australian Wallabies players. They are ex-Super 12 rugby players. They are successful business people in each of their own careers. Please welcome Nathan Sharp and Mark Bartholomews. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, my guests today are Nathan Sharp and Mark Bartholomews. Bartholomews? Spell it. Mate. No, I, I have literally had to <laughs> type that down, what, like word, letter for letter, word for word. So uh, for yeah. those that listeners that we have, have not heard about these gentlemen before, uh, they are professional rugby union players, now retired. Uh, they both represent the Wallabies. Uh, they both were predominant in the interstate competition and captains of at different levels and stages of their careers. Um, so, guys, welcome. Thanks so much for coming on the Bit of Chat podcast. Thanks, Loki. Thanks for having Thanks, us, mate. No worries at all. You can also uh, reflect uh, Mark's last name as Barfollow. Bar full of booze. So, bar full um, of booze. Well, uh, he's been in that state a few times. So, uh, I, I bet. Actually, uh, bar full of booze is my brother. I'm commonly known as Esky. Okay, <laughs> so do you supply? I'm, I'm, I'm the younger brother, you see, so yeah. that's why. I'm ah. Now, because you guys both have big, fam- like pretty re- be- decent sized families. Yep. Are you from big families as well? Yeah, I've got, I've got four, I've got three sisters and a brother. Yeah, okay. So I'm the youngest of that, and uh, it was clearly the mistake in the whole family, <laughs> uh, being eight years younger than the, the next uh, youngest. But um, yeah, it worked out okay, I suppose. I've sort of grew up with some. Um, <coughs> Some pretty interesting times watching the kids or the older kids down at the, at the bus stop smoking behind trees and blowing out smoke and I'd be questioning why there was why there was um, that vapour coming out and it was the middle of summer and they'd kept on telling me it was because so, it was so cold, you know. They'd <laughs> well, because um, I've done a bit of research on both of you, but you originally were from Wagga Wagga, is that yeah, correct, in yeah. New South Wales? Yeah. So you're actually New South Welshman. I am, yeah. I'm for the place of many crows, which is what Wagga Wagga is, um, the indigenous name behind it. So, yeah. Wow. Yes. So, and how many generations of your family from that? Because it is a, not <laughs> that big of a town. Uh, probably about 12 years. Yeah. Old. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> <laughs> we kind of moved there when I was born. And oh, really? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So then um, we were there for a period of time with dad's work and we, we lived on a farm out there, which was awesome because we got to experience that. And then... Headed up to uh, the Gold Coast. They got relocated for work, and um, so we went up there. So we got a bit of the bit of the bush, yep, and a bit of the ocean. So it was pretty lucky upbringing. Yeah, that's. It, and then you went from a very big uh, change <laughs> into the Gold Coast. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we sort of, you sort of uh, don't know what you don't know until you get there, and um, <coughs> it was a pretty good, pretty good place to grow up actually, because it was back in the day. It was it was. Uh, 
not, not so many regulations around and the like. And um, for some reason, though, I'm the only one of my mates who didn't learn how to surf, so I must have spent my time doing other stuff other than... It's because you're too bloody huge, mate. <laughs> 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 but, mate, I was this height when I was, rowing, I was 15. And you I were this height when you were 15? Yeah, yeah, but I was... Yeah. How, how high are you? 6'8". Yeah. Oh, we look like midgets beside him. <laughs> oh, I do anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I had a full head of hair though, so that was. Did good. you? Yeah, that weighed more than my the rest of my body combined. I was pretty pretty skinny for a while there. So then I guess it just took me, you know, how many years is that? That's nearly twenty five years to get a lot heavier and fatter. <laughs> <laughs> and buddy, you are you originally Brisbane born and bred? Oh yeah, mate. Yeah. yeah. So we grew up on the. South side of Brisbane. Awesome. Um, That's what I did as well. <laughs> had, a, had a very uh, you know, normal sort of upbringing, I guess. Went to the local primary school. and What primary school did you go to? Upper Mount Gravatt State yeah. School. Cool. We, li- we lived down the road there on Logan Road. My parents went to Sunnybank High. Oh, yeah? Yeah. They're not far away. Yeah. So, and then you went to uh, um, Brisbane State High yep. for high school. Yeah, I, I ended up going there. Um, so that, that was good. Part of my uh, upbringing as well. My father went there. My uh, great, uh, sorry, my grandmother went there as well. So we were sort of third generation, and now um, my daughters, two older daughters, are there as well. So they're fourth generation. So wow, it's an awesome school. It's been a good school for for our family. Yeah, yeah. Buddy's very um, uh, modest. He he was one of the greatest sportsmen that went around the uh, GPS scene for a long period of time. What, you have four years in the first for cricket and three years in the first. For really? Yeah. So you're multi-talented? Because no, I saw no. three years at a um, schoolboy for rugby union. Yeah. Yeah, oh, the under the under, under 21s. 21s. It was yeah. three years. Three years, but, yeah. uh, You know, I think I probably would have traded, traded that for a few more test matches rather, rather than the three years of the 21s. But yeah. Uh, yeah. I guess that's where we first met Sharpie. So, um, yeah. You know, yeah. Made, yeah. made some good mates through through that 21 program. <laughs> yeah. And so how yeah, did you guys start off your rugby careers? Like, obviously you played other sports. I saw you, because you went to TSS, you did rowing as well. Yep. Uh, but how, what what made you fall in love with rugby? And what was the I think uh, my father took me down to Sunnybank Rugby Club, which was our local rugby club. Um, they were a junior club then. They, were, they weren't playing in the senior competition. And I was seven years old and I just... From the very first game, I just thought this is fantastic. You can you get the ball and run, and you can tackle blokes. And I just thought it was, you know, fantastic from day one. And uh, I played a lot of cricket as a kid as well. But I think rugby always had that slight edge for me. How about you, Sharpie? Yeah, I, I was a lot slower and uh, less athletic, so it was a good place to hide playing rugby. <laughs> it's, <laughs> a, it's a team sport for everyone, every shape and size. But no, look, I, I grew up in Wagga, uh, played Aussie Rules till I was 12, and then we moved up to a school that just happened to play rugby. So I went there. I had no real idea about what was um, what the game was itself. You know, still to this day, the first training session I went to, all, my, all the guys that I'd become mates with, sort of said, oh, come on down and check it out. And, you know, I still remember the first training session, the coach was like, right, forwards on my right, backs on my left. And I, I didn't know who, who was what the back or a forward was. Yeah. And all the athletic, good-looking kids all went to the back side of things <laughs> and all the, all the <laughs> uncoordinated fat Sorry kids went to, to the forwards. <laughs> so, obviously, I waited till the end and, and I went to join the backs and he kind of grabbed me, the coach, and said, no, no, mate, you'll never be one of those. And he pushed me over into the forwards. So... I, my kind of um, my path was set from an early age, um, and then I played all the other sports at school, and 
I didn't really focus on rugby too much. It wasn't wasn't professional at the time. Barty probably went through the same scenario. You know, I enjoyed playing, but it wasn't a by no means a career <coughs> back in those days. And then it actually went professional the year that I finished school. So I think I'm a year younger than Barty. So okay. wasn't too far post his finishing school and um, went to uni at UQ and um, just kept playing there. Road had a good time. <laughs> had a really good time actually. <laughs> what did you study? Yeah, <laughs> he hasn't finished his degree. <laughs> yeah, actually, you know. Nathan. I did I? Did I study? I don't know. <laughs> What some you, some what sort of you some sort of human science, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> biology. Yeah, yeah. No, I did human movements, and um, yeah, it was interesting. Yeah, a, a few years ago, one of my professors reached out to me and on uh, you know LinkedIn or one of those um, mediums, and he's like, "Ah, oh, hey, go, mate." And we had a conversation, but I reflected on how poor I was as a student. <laughs> as a student, and I was quite embarrassed having a conversation with this fellow. He's a lovely guy, so. Um, yeah, not some of my finest times. But, yeah, look, rugby became professional and, um, um, you know, Queensland offered me a training contract and that was kind of where it was. So the first couple of years, uni were all right and then I had to make a decision, I guess, on which way I went. Uh, I was living on campus and then moved off campus into a share house with some, some good mates. Around the time I became professional rugby player and it was real test test of my discipline, you know, on a, <laughs> on a Sunday afternoon when you got training on Monday morning and... You got blokes that are down at the pub from you know eleven o'clock in the morning having a pretty good time, and you've got to you got to uh, show a bit of commitment. So I guess that was good for me in that side of things. You know, I learned how to um, sacrifice when when I needed to. Were you getting paid straight off? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah, it was ninety seven. Yeah, it was in the in the training squad. So um, yeah, it was a bit of money there. So it was it was you know nothing to today's day and age comparisons, but it was. Um, it was a good way to get stuck into it, I suppose, because there was no real preconception of where you were going to go with it all. It just kind of rolled out that way. Whereas in today's day and age, I sometimes feel a little bit for players because it, it is almost a career progression for them to, to go down that path, you know. So it was a lot easier not having that pressure or weight of decision, I suppose. Yeah. And how about you, Barty? How did you make that transition from... Uh, I was playing here in Brisbane for South and um, was probably on the periphery of the, the Queensland squad or the Reds. And just never quite fitted in, I guess, with their plans at the time. So I got an opportunity to go. Because a lot of people who don't know Rugby Union as well, like you guys came through at one of the most crazy periods of time. Like some of the best players ever in the game were all from Australia as well. So it was the most competitive, like teams that ever went through. So it wasn't easy. No, look, we had just a great era, didn't we? Across, yeah, across every different positions so we were very fortunate to play in that era um so yeah i uh, got an opportunity to go on a brumbies development tour of the uk and they took 30 of us you know a mixture of a, a few contracted players already some uh, you know obviously the rest of us were all almost on trial it's a, it's actually technically termed a piss drinking <laughs> junket <laughs> Yeah, I was waiting for Dressed up as a uh, football tour. Yeah. Yeah. He yeah. looks like he'd handle that one. Yeah. Yeah. Take one yeah. He's good. Bring Esky. <laughs> let's go. Uh, yeah, it was a great tour, actually. Yeah? We had a fantastic time. Where um, did you go on the tour? Uh, we Were you on that as well? No, no, no. He was, uh, was the Brumbies. Oh, this is the Brumbies one. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, so we went to England and Scotland. Yeah, so we played, I think we played eight games in uh, about four weeks. Yeah, so it was uh, a really good bunch of blokes from all over, you know, New South Wales, Queensland, ACT, and uh, the Brumbies did pretty well out of that that tour actually, with some guys that sort of came through after it, the likes of 
Jeremy Paul and Phil Young and a couple of other guys, um, uh, Craig McMullen and and there's probably five or six guys that came through from that tour that ended up playing, you know, significant parts in the in the Brumbies after that. P- yeah. Potentially some of the loosest individuals you've ever ever met. I was, well, was so, going to say yeah. it's like yeah. yeah well, I was going to say uh, you know you look at rugby these days. You talked about uh, you know being a career and going from school and wanting to just be a professional rugby player. Well, I think we were really lucky because. Rugby went professional in 96 and we sort of started in you know, 90, end of 97, 98. And so no one really knew what professionalism was. And so <laughs> we, we learned how to train hard. We having fun. As, as the years <laughs> went on, but shit, we had a good time. Yeah. You know, we, we sort of trained hard. And, it was almost like a lag, lag effect, so. like you had some of the best players in the game um, at a, in a global level, you know, yeah, they would they would drink piss like their lives depended on it. Wednesday night, <laughs> sometimes Thursday <laughs> night before test matches. You know, no way. But they, as Barty said, they were so committed that if they if they made that, you know, um, choice decision, they they made sure that no one knew about it and they didn't let anyone down. You know, so that was kind of the nice part of that. And if those teams are incredibly successful because those guys, you know, when they made that choice, made sure they kind of um, <coughs> decided to, to, I guess, stump up and, and make amends for it. But after a period of time, the teams weren't progressing as well or winning as many games and guys still continued to have a good time during the week and that was when it wasn't sort of acceptable because rugby really had a probably a honeymoon period of four to five years where there was a lot of that behaviour going on and then the rest of the world caught, kind of caught up and... You know, I think it's well documented that around 2004, 2005, the All Blacks kind of drew a line in the sand and got rid of a few guys that had a great time. Uh, and, and, you know, when you reflect on it, you've only got a certain period of time to make, make the most of your career and you want to be, be winning games and, world, and winning World Cups. And, um, you know, they're probably the first team who, who made that sacrifice and, you know, it's, the rest is history since then. Yeah, well, what about the guys like Michael Liner and all those guys... They were before you guys, obviously. Is that still like that honeymoon <coughs> crazy period? Because well, they were like un- unreal. Yeah, well, I mean, that wasn't even professional, you know. No. So, <laughs> so there was, there was, you know, those days where. Um, Does that just mean Australia's the best at sinking piston and playing really good soccer? Back it up. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and look, not all of them did, but there was always, you know, always a couple of, uh, you know, guys that enjoy themselves, like, like in any, um, I guess, in any team that you're in. Uh, it was far more um, acceptable back in those days, you know. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did you? Did you? Um, so, like today in 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 sport, you are literally uh, a leader or a public icon. As soon like people like James O'Connor, like again, he's almost a, uh, an example. When he first, he was the youngest Wallabies player ever, wasn't he? At eighteen or seventeen. Uh, close, close to, to yeah, yeah. Close and to. no break, no enjoying the game. It was like straight in. You're going to be like one of the best yeah. guys around. Yeah. Where you guys almost had that time to like let loose and and adjust in and actually enjoy the game for it, what it, it was. It was almost an apprenticeship, you know, for for one of it of a word. So um, <coughs> I don't think it helped that the, the social media profile of sport has changed so dramatically. You know, like Buddy and I play with guys that, jeez, uh, if if. Um, Camera phones were around and <laughs> back <laughs> in their day. <laughs> mate, <laughs> mate, they'd be in jail. They wouldn't just not be playing, playing a game. So, um, yeah, I guess it's all timing thing and, and you've got to take that into account. Yeah, absolutely. 
Oh, no, it, it is such a different era on it. Um, so when you got, did your tour, you got back? Yeah, got back and then got offered an opportunity to go down to be part of the extended Brumby squad. And uh, that was 1998, the start of 1998. And um, it just so happened that year, the Brumbies had an awful year performance-wise and injury-wise. And so that actually helped me because I, I got to play plenty of games and then, then sort of got broke into the team properly the next year. Yeah. So, um, you know, they, they say time is everything, I guess, and, you know, it was pretty fortunate. Um, not for the other guys that got injured, but for me, you know, being in the right place at the right time and it just helped to, to get started down there, I guess. Were you a bit devo that you weren't in the Queensland team? Uh, I think, you know, earlier I was in terms of, you know, I was pushing pretty hard and I really wanted to be, you know, in the squad because I'd grown up as a yeah. Queenslander. I always wanted to play for Queensland yeah. and then, you know, it didn't happen for, for a few reasons and I got an opportunity down there and I look back now and think, you know, it's the best thing that ever happened to me. Yeah. Because I got to play in a wonderful team and, you know, um, have so many great mates and have so many good times as, yeah. you know, Sharpie's alluded to well, off the field as well as on the field and, um, you know, sort of <coughs> grew up down there, I suppose, in early sort of adulthood and, um, yeah, it was wonderful. Suffered the cold. <laughs> Yeah, that was tough. The first year. <laughs> that was really tough. I remember that that, that frosted ice in the first oh, tackle. <laughs> I remember going to the fishing shop to buy some toe warmers for training at <laughs> night for club training. <laughs> oh yeah, playing playing the Brumbies in Canberra in winter was shit house. That was no good at all. No, it was icy cold, and and they used to love it down there. The crowd would be absolutely chock a block with all these bloody. Um, what, what, a lot of toothless people down there doing all sorts of stuff. <laughs> that's not the way I remember it. Uh, of course you didn't. Yeah, yeah. They bought lots of jerseys, so it doesn't matter. That's that. right, that's right. Great support. So where did you guys first meet each other? 21s, I think. Yeah, look, I think we crossed paths during yeah, the, school, the school stuff, yeah. obviously, but uh, didn't probably know each other. And then the Bart, Barty was in his seventh year of the first 15, I think, when we crossed <laughs> over <laughs> in 1994. And, and then I finished in 95, and then we, we kind of, maybe nine, 19... Uh, I think it was 21s. 21s, yeah. 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 yeah, so I came in, played 21s with Barty, and we had a few good tours, and, and um, uh, the Tour to South Africa was a good one. We won the <laughs> won the, the World Championship, and then... Um, that was amazing. Yeah, it was good. That it was, was really awesome. good. It was pretty cool, actually. We had to score four tries in the... Um, in the last game to win the tournament, because it was on bonus points and all the rest of it. Yeah. And the winger scored in the corner with two minutes to go. So you can imagine there was yeah. only a couple of years out there. Oh, my God. Can I, can I tell the story? <laughs> you can <laughs> say it anything you want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just, I just don't offend me on, mate. No, you can. You can we're, uh, the, so we went through the night and had a big night. And um, anyway, we had a, the next morning we had a, a we had to fly back from South Africa, obviously. But for some reason our plane trip got delayed an extra day or something like that. So we had to had a day to kill. And, of course, as you do, everyone decided to have a court session at 10 o'clock the next morning and um, everyone was a bit ripe from the night before <laughs> still. <laughs> anyway, we were in this we're in this circle and everyone's sort of uh. fining each other for things that had gone wrong on tour and, you know, when a fine involves if you've done something wrong, wrong worn the wrong kit or you've turned up late, you've got to get up and scale a beer in front of your, your teammates. Yeah. Um, anyway, um, it's 10.30 in the morning or something like that and the, the manager walks in and he's like, Oh, you blokes, who's kicked the door off the off the toilet? Like he's walked into the the dunny there, and someone's gone in there and like kicked this door fair <laughs> off the hinges. And 
it's a difficult thing to explain. Is this it, a public toilet or a dorm toilet? No, no, like in the hotel. Okay, we, yeah, were, yeah. we were in the function room. Yeah, and, you know, like the the toilet you've got outside when you go to a yeah, um, yeah, yeah. a dinner or whatever it is. Um, and anyway, we got this this circle of probably the loosest individuals that you could ever put in one team. And, uh, and Barty's, Barty's <laughs> the, the, literally the best bloke, the gr- nicest bloke you ever meet. And so uh, the captain of the team at the time stands up and he goes, righto, righto, righto. And he was he was half cooked and probably one of the the first blokes we were going to pin the pin the <laughs> the disaster on. He's like, righto, mates, let's sort this out. Who who's kicked the who's kicked the door the toilet door off the shit up? And um, like everyone's looking at him as the captain, and there's a couple other blokes there they're looking at. Anyway, Barty's sitting there. You know, still hazy, and he just sticks his hand up like this. <laughs> <laughs> and the skipper like looks at him. He goes, "Ah, oh, party, stop fucking around." Now, who was it? Who was it? <laughs> Barty's like, <laughs> and no one believed Barty that he'd done it. It, uh, it was quite funny. Was <laughs> Why did you kick it off? Oh, I, th- I think I was. That recall, uh, yeah. half pissed, fully pissed, whatever. Yeah. And I just went to go. I actually didn't kick it. I just went like that, pushed it. Went up. And it, just, and it just fell off the tinge. So. <laughs> anyway, yeah. you guys must have some absolute wicked stories that you probably can't say. On there. <laughs> but uh, that, they would have been such fun times. And like with um, all, going through all that era and going through, are there any other guys that went through rugby with you that you had like good relationships with? Like uh, I know there was like some crazy people like Elton Flatley who were like grade eight playing first fifteen. Like there any real freaky people that you remember? Oh, I think for me, I, I mean, or some good young talent, but the 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 best players that I played with were the ones that could do it consistently, and you know they turned up each week and played the same standard. So guys like Todd Kefu, Steve Larkin were probably the two players that that uh, that I thought amazing. were the best I played with. You know, I don't know yeah. about Barty. Oh, I think that's probably three for me. Um, Joe Roth, and you talk about hey. kids coming through school. Uh, he was probably the same size. He is now coming through school. He was just a giant and fast. And child. And yeah. And he yeah. was exceptional yeah. at, at a schoolboy level. And then obviously took it took it right through. And it, I think he was great because he could do something out of nothing and just turn a game, just score, you know, mm. for you when you needed it. Mm. Um, Stephen Larkham, you know, Sharp, he's already touched on, was, you know. Um, he's got to be one of the best. All one of the players. best. You know, yeah. him, and, him yeah. and Michael Lyon are probably the two best fly-halves <laughs> Australia's ever seen. And then I think, um, but probably the best, I would say would be George Smith. Really? Yeah. yeah. Just what? for um, longevity. And I think his, his ability to display skills that weren't even in his you know, role. He changed you know? the game. Yeah. yeah. He was – I would have hated to have been playing against him. He was a freak. He, he'd put a grubber through in a sideline on the winger and pick <laughs> it up and score. And you just go, Where did, how did you do that? You know, and he was playing number seven. So it was, yeah, a freak. But, was, he, but he also fundamentally changed the game, right? Like it was in the day when – a ruck was a contest and guys would fly in and dive in and all the rest of it. He started uh, actually attacking the ball and becoming, you know, a menace to the point where he was changing games by teams couldn't hold on to the ball anymore because any time he got near the, the ruck, he would pinch it. Yeah. And that that was not something the game had seen until that point. And then there was a few other guys that came along around the same time, Richie McCaw, and yes. there was a group of them that sort of came through. But Smithy was the first one that was so effective at that skill. Um and it kind of made the number seven's job almost the most important position on the field because these guys were charged with trying to get turnovers at the breakdown. So, you know, you talk about uh, that moment when um, that was a that was a 
uh, I guess, a cultural ch- shift in, in rugby and, you know, Smithy was at the forefront of that. Yeah, well, I just remember at schoolboy level because we always looked up to you guys and I remember Smithy was known as a mongrel. Like, that was the best way to describe him because he would just get in there with his dreads, <laughs> like someone would pop up, he'd just stomp him, get, <laughs> get the ball. Mm. So, yeah. what do you think about when they took rucking out of the game? Yeah, it was it kind of crossed over that period, right? Because yeah, rucking was the best way to ensure you had quick ball because you. And it was interesting, like being a forward and, and Barty being a back, so he was doing bugger all out in the wing. But that's why he likes to get the ball. Um, <laughs> if you went to ground in Iraq, you you would literally have jerseys ripped off, and you'd go in the showers afterwards, and. Guys' backs would be torn to pieces, and it was almost like we used to love it at schoolboy level. Like, yeah, it was like it was. But the, the, if you, you had to, it, it became a moral decision to actually try and slow the ball down, and that's how you ensured quick ball. Whereas now, in today's day and age, the game's changed. It had to change because it was getting to the point where people were getting, you know, rucking faces off and all the rest of it. Yeah. Um, but then it, there was no mechanism for players to, I guess referee the game themselves they got to wait for the referee to get the right call and there's all sorts of stuff that goes on in a ruck that can slow a ball down but i can tell you if you're going to get a, a a shoe to the back of the neck or something like that when you're trying to slow the ball down you think about it a lot quicker than you do worrying about getting a penalty given against you so um yeah that, that fundamentally changed the game as well and <coughs> to that point george smith performing that skill if he was in that position uh while rucking was around he wouldn't have had much back on the back of his head yeah. because um, they would have taken to him, you know. So, Because, like, rucking for me was uh, self-refereeing. Like, yeah. if you had the balls to put your hand in there, yep. you could have a broken hand be out for the rest of the season. Yep. And it was I, – I actually loved that. Yep. So, And what do you guys think? Do you think it should be, like, in professional level? Like, I understand it's school schoolboy level and everything like that because we took it too far. I remember I was a fullback. And wrapped up a guy and didn't release and just jumped up and started rucking his back. Like yeah. it's not designed for that. It yeah. was designed for that. I don't think you can today. Really? Cameras? How many cameras are in a game? Like, you know, it, it, it'd it, be too hard to regulate. I think. Yeah. I think you know, if you said you well, you can do it, but you can only do it between here and here. Yeah. It, it was a part of the sport for so long, though. Yeah, yeah. It, it really was. But you, you, like, I saw a guy literally tread on a guy's like I was w- watching Queensland B play Canary B or something like that before we played them in a game one of our guys there was a winger pinned on the on the side of the ruck like right like a metre off the sideline and um, one of our guys came up and literally like stood above him the ball's on the other side of the ruck and he just stomped on his face and rip, ripped his face off <laughs> and um, you, like can you imagine how that would reverberate around the world if that fo- if footage like that came out these days it, it just it just it, it wouldn't happen you know, like yeah. you, we know what the world's like today. Yeah. Just I actually think that the sport would get more popularity for it. Oh yeah, because be like of violence. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think I think they'd be like, holy shit! And the Americans would be like, yeah, these yeah. guys are even more psycho. Crazy. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, like violent sports are the most watched, like yeah. boxing, yeah. UFC, MMA, and everything. Yeah, yeah. and uh, everything. Every time it comes back a little bit, I think yeah, it's just yeah. again. Well, I, I I don't know if Qantas would sponsor it. <laughs> <laughs> well, didn't they just pull it anyway? No, they did anyway. Yeah, might as well do it. You're right. <laughs> yeah. Get it out there. Yeah. Well, someone smart would because they'd be all of the jerseys. Correct. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, uh, I just um, yeah, I thought I definitely wanted to ask you that question because it it was so important at a schoolboy level. Like there was like a badge of honor. You oh. take your jersey off or it got ripped yeah. off. I yeah. can um, I can remember playing for State High and um, a guy was a good friend of mine played. For 
uh, test rugby for Fiji, Moses Rolini. He was playing number seven. He's, he played test rugby at halfback, played about 50 tests. I think he's one of the top two or three capped Fijian players. Um, anyway, we were tiny. So myself and another bloke in the team were tiny. We were tiny little backs. Every time, like you said, you got on the ground, they'd kick the absolute shit out of you, the forwards. And yeah. they'd be looking for you because you're little. <laughs> so as soon as I'd go to deck, he would jump on my back and he'd cop it. And it, that was his badge of honour. And he'd go, right, no, nah, that's my job to protect you. Jeez. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> have, have you roughed someone really good? Like, ripped the jersey off them? Yeah, yeah. I remember not for ages, though. Like, no. Oh, last week. Yeah, last <laughs> week. Did you remember that? Uh, <laughs> You in that under twenty ones team? We had a, we had a bloke called Chris Roach, who's a quality oh, yeah. back rower, <laughs> yeah. and uh, he'd get to training at Ballymore's Queensland under twenty ones, I think. Mm. And get to Ballymore, he was, and he didn't think we were tough enough because he was in the era where they literally did kick blokes in the head and kick the absolute shit out of each other on the ground and whatever. And, oh. uh, so he made all of us. He made the backs go first. Right, oh, take it into contact. Right, oh, hold forward pack. Go over him, as in you all. They all had to put two feet on you and kick the shit out of you. Mm. Oh my It'd god! One of the lucky. greatest training sessions I've yeah. ever. <laughs> Probably lucky no one had broken ribs. <laughs> yeah, no, it was. We had a good go at them too. Like you talk about getting two feet as you run over someone at full speed. We were getting like six or seven shoes on on each back as we went. Uh, I remember some of the guys on our team. They were literally sharp. They'd put on um, their front two. They'd have like sixteen mil. Yeah, sharpen them, take them off, do the referee check. They'd swap the boots out and run on yeah. like little hookers and stuff like that. It was yeah. insane. Yeah, so good old days. Oh, um, so when you went from uh, Brumbies going way through, you got obviously you're in a, a time when the Brumbies absolutely crushed it, and you were pretty fortunate enough to be part of the winning team versus the Crusaders. What was that like? A couple yeah. of times you won four, didn't you? No, we won two. We won. We won two and lost two. Yeah. Did you? Yeah. yeah, yeah. But one um, of them was in Auckland, wasn't it? One of them was in. Um, no, no, we, the, both, the two we won were both in Canberra. We lost one in Christchurch yes. and we lost another one in Canberra, we should, which, which we should have won. That was against the Crusaders, actually. Yeah. So what was that like? Ah, it was amazing, yeah. As Sharpie said, you know, Canberra Stadium there, supporters were magnificent. The stadium was full. Actually, my, uh, I don't know if I've told you this, Sharpie, my, my wife well, was girlfriend at the time. Parachute in the stadium with a match ball, actually. <laughs> before, <laughs> no before the Super yeah, Rugby yeah. final. Yeah. That's fucking amazing. Um, yeah. So yeah, it was it was great. It was great. Great atmosphere. And I think the when the first year we won in two thousand and one was particularly uh rewarding because we'd lost the year before in two thousand and we were the best team, but we were still probably a young team and were a little bit naive and we ran the ball from everywhere and all we needed to do was get a bit of field position and we win the game. But because we played that way all year, we ran it, gave a penalty away, and Andrew Mertens kicks the goal, and we lose by a point. Yeah. So the next year, we sort of learnt those lessons. We probably didn't play quite as a flamboyant, uh, you know, brand. But you know, defence was fantastic, and we learnt to play a bit more field position. And we, and, you know, we beat the Sharks from South Africa, I think, thirty-six-six or something like that. So it was convincing, and it was. That was rewarding and, and probably a bit of a relief as well after the year before. What was the one where you put you put like thirty points on them in ten minutes or something? It was lots. That, that was the Crusaders in uh, 04. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. so, so, big one so Joe Roth, who I agree with Barty, was an amazing player, just immense presence on the field. He was he was I reckon the best tourist you've ever been on with <laughs> and on a trip with. <laughs> and I'd been playing with him for a few couple of years at Wallabies, and I remember texting him like the morning of the the final. Uh, again before that game, and uh, he had he had a huge game. 
And I texted him and said, mate, good luck. Um, you didn't text me, mate. <laughs> Did not? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you might have brushed me, mate, because you, br- you had your Brumbies. You were brainwashed for the Brumbies. <laughs> in camp. Yeah, in camp. <laughs> and, uh, and Rafi was, I said, mate, good luck, enjoy, big big event. And he sent me back a photo of his um, Mad Monday outfit laid out on his bed saying, I'm more excited about Mad Monday, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> and he went out and scored like six tries and blitzed them. Oh, my He's God. Yeah, he was, but he enjoyed he enjoyed, um, he enjoyed his time in, around the boys, that's for sure. Yeah, well, you have to. Like, you guys go through. Literally, it's like that. Those team variants. You go through fucking hell and back mm. together, all through training and everything. And then you have a game and you get let down, like, like losing. When you lost that um, third one, uh, was that where in the line was it? Because you win two. So we we lost one one one, and then the next year we were going back to back, and we played in. We were trying to go back to back, and we lost the final against the Crusaders over there in yep. Christchurch. Um, just probably played poorly in the last sort of 10 and they just got us, you know, yeah. in the last 10. And then um, I think the next year we made the semi, did make the final, and then the 04, yeah, was the, was the Crusaders game. And it was the same crew the whole way along? Or if yeah, you well, yeah, 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 pretty much. A couple of little, couple of changes, but there's probably 10 to 12 guys that played in both. Be cool, yeah. Yeah. And when you yeah. go through that type of shit, you, you really like dig in because you don't want to go through that experience again. Yeah, well, I think the, I think the last one there's lot guys leaving as well. So Rafi was going to play over in Japan. I think I was going to play in Europe. There's yep. a um, David Giffen was retiring. There's a number number of guys that were you know either retiring or moving on or just doing other things. So going out of the bang. Yeah, mm. I think everyone was keen to you know make it, make sure it was was a good night on the field and then uh, and then after it as well. What about you, Sharpie, with the Reds? So yeah, mate, I came through that. Late 90s team when um, the Wallabies won the World Cup in 99. Mm. Um, so it was a, a really good team. Um, I was part of that. In it's like Herbert and yeah, Warren. Pretty much the whole the whole team that won the, the World Cup with Roffy and Giff and probably a couple of other Brumbies boys because it was at the start of the Brumbies sort of successes Bernie. and towards the end Bernie, of... Um, yeah, Bernie. Who's that? Bernie. Yeah, Bernie was in there, yeah. yeah. But it was sort of the end of that Queensland era and the start of the Brumbies era. So, um, yeah, '99 was the closest we got. But we we had a we had a really good team that year. We ended up um, we topped the table by miles, and then we we had a home semi final against the Crusaders. And it was funny actually. We, we had this. There was a big pay dispute that was going on because if you got a like I was oblivious to it all because I was a young bloke. I didn't. The, I didn't the World care. Cup remuneration wasn't it? No, nah, it was to do with Queensland getting a home final or something like that. Mm. Yeah. The players thought they, sh- you know, there was a discussion that the, the players should get a bit of that, which is fair, 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 co- fair cop, I reckon. Mm. Um, it was there was a whole heap of um, discussions during the week because it was a pretty senior team, so you had guys that were pretty opinionated. But in reflection, we played terribly against. Um, <laughs> The Crusaders and got knocked out anyway. Yeah, um, <laughs> but it, it the Ballymore, yeah, it was a Ballymore, yeah. yeah. But yeah, it, yeah. it ended up being a huge distraction for the team. I think that you know it's a good lesson that you know once you start getting hung up on those things, you can't possibly focus on what's at hand. So um, yeah, it was just a bit of a shame. So that was probably the closest I got to super super title. Mm. <coughs> we played in in other semis I as think well. You pl- we played in a semi one year too. Yeah, in Canberra, two thousand, I think it was. Yeah, 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 down in Canberra. So. 
Um, no, we didn't. I didn't have that same success that Barty had, which he always rubs into me when we had a few beers. Yeah, I bet. He's not backwards and coming forwards. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to give it to him about something. He's better than me <laughs> than ev- about with everything else. So. <laughs> well, you no, just give it back, back to him about the Wallabies. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <He does>. yeah. <laughs> and then you went, so you were at um, the Reds for a while and then you moved. What made you pick up and move over to Perth? Uh, yeah, good, good question, actually. In, in hindsight, everyone that I talked to, um, uh, it's probably probably doesn't doesn't come up that much anymore. But um, everyone thinks it's money, mate. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what I wanted to ask because, like, it's it's not all about money always. Oh, uh, look! At the end of the day, it was it was an easy way to frame it mm. for a completely fucked up negotiation. You know? <laughs> um, what happened? That, oh, well, look, uh, t- a whole a whole raft of. Um, coincidences went on I suppose but the force were obviously getting established um, it was quite exciting a fourth team in Australian rugby which in hindsight I think to your point when you spoke about Barty and I coming through those periods you know you think back and you think Australia probably couldn't handle four really competitive ultra competitive teams you had a I felt though we expanded to five teams so quickly um, we had a lot of club players level players playing in, in Super Rugby and mm-hmm. just content to be there. So there wasn't always a huge amount of pressure to stay within teams. And I think, you know, if, if Australian Rugby had their time again, they might reconsider that. But look, yeah, that, okay. that's that's what happened. And it sort of diluted the competition pool, if that makes sense. Yep, I understand. Le- less yeah. places, more competition. People are hungrier. Yep. They don't they don't perform, they don't stay, you know. So um, I guess that's easy to say in hindsight, right? Mm. Um but the, the force had started up, um, you know, I was keen to explore it. And um, I'd been playing, I think I'd started every test for the Wallabies in 02, 03, uh, 04. And then Eddie Jones said, oh, look, you young bloke, have a spell. So I didn't go on the end of How old were you then? 23. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Um, so I, my, my, I actually got dropped for four games and came off the bench in that period. But anyway, r- Eddie just said, mate, you need to have a break. Go and have a preseason because you end up playing. Um, footy consistently, and to be fair, I didn't really start lifting weights until I got to like nineteen or twenty. So I was a, I wasn't an overly um, uh, big bloke, mm. you know. So you're I needed. To spend you're some just imposing because you're so fucking tall, mate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah probably. <laughs> that's, that's yeah. Well, yeah, and no hair, you know. <laughs> oh, actually, both of you are bald. <laughs> <laughs> when did that happen? We're actually bringing out a new uh, product <laughs> called the Balding Man. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, Excellent. <laughs> We're launching it tonight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get all our bald viewers out there. Yeah, yeah. We, we don't have a link in the. Uh, yeah. it, do, it do, doesn't help a thing. So sorry. About that. <laughs> um, no, no. So the, the force engaged me, and, and look, they put. It was really exciting, you know, to go and be part of a, a new startup um, area or you know region in, in Australian rugby. And my old man sort of said to me at the time, he was like, "Mate, you'll never get a, this chance again. You either play for Queensland the whole way through, or you go and experience something that's." You know, totally unique in Australian rugby because at that stage you probably didn't. All there was was Queensland, New South Wales, and then the Brumbies came along. And yeah, and it's AFL over in WA. Yeah, so that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, for me, I was t- I, my first negotiation. I walked into the 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 Reds CEO's office, and he was like, "I was like, mate, it's time to." I, you know, obviously we we're going through a renegotiation of, of my contract, and you know, his opening line was, um, "So, mate, you're not even in the top five locks in Australia, so." Um, and I was like, really? I was like, well, it's been documented. Like Eddie said, I'm having a rest, and he's like, that's not how we see it, mate. And then, <laughs> and then tried to, Stitch like, you know, off me the same what I was on from three years previously. Wow. Um, 
and so anyway, that's if that sets the tone for a negotiation, yeah. you can imagine the rest of it, you know. And, and um, see you later. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I, was, it felt, I just felt like I wasn't even, um, you know, appreciated where I was, which always happens, I suppose. And and the force were bending over backwards to try and help me get over there, and you know, still to the to the last day, I think um, I, I hadn't decided to go, and um, <coughs> you know, I think um, at the end of the day. It was just handled pretty poorly by Queensland, and and but no one sees that, and I don't care. That's what it is, and I knew it was a one way trip to to go to Perth. It wasn't like I was going to come back and play for Queensland, and um, yeah, that was always made known to me. You know, when I when I when we played Queensland or when I came back here, it was kind of like um, everyone knew it was a one way trip. So yeah, it's, it is what it is, and you know that's the that's the real meat of the bones of the story, I suppose. Yeah, and when you got over there, what was it like? Oh, it was awesome. It was such an amazing experience. And, you know, people reflect on times, you know, that Barty's had winning all these super um, uh, titles and, and the rest. So I had a really different u- experience. We had a bunch of young guys that largely, you know, ha- hadn't even left home. And, you know, you had to wrap your arms around these young kids and, and bring them... Yeah, because you're only 23 yeah, yourself. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean... Oh, sorry. No, I was 26 by that 26? Okay. Sorry, okay. Oh, we're yeah, talking yeah. about my debut. But, um, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so you're trying to pull this all together and, um, you know, we were underdone in terms of uh, capacity to quality of players. So every every game was a fight of your life sort of thing. And, you know, we had a bunch of guys there that really played hard for each other for a couple of years there, um, particularly at the start there because you had no one else. You created your own community and mm. a bit like the Brumbies, we just didn't probably have um, quite the, the, the settled cattle that the, the Brumbies had when they first started, you know. So Pretty uh, Pretty exciting though for you to go and be the face and the captain of a new, you know, uh, oh, fr- new yeah, franchise. franchise yeah. And, yeah, you know, yeah, and pretty hard to say no to that. Yeah, no. Look, all those things, you know, stacked up, and um, I think would I do it again? Yeah, absolutely. You know, so uh, it would. It just would have been nice in those early years had we embedded a few, a few um, things a little bit differently in the way we set set it up. Like I what? Th- Oh, I think I think just getting some more smarts around the rugby program over there. Yeah, we had John Mitchell um, as the, the coach, and they didn't really bring any other people in Support. with professional rugby experience. So okay. John's way was the kind of the highway, and everyone kind of got out of his way, and it was just what he wanted, you know. And sometimes that's good for a period of time, but I'm old enough now to know that not everyone knows everything, you know. Right? Yeah. So you need a good team around you to to pick things up when things aren't going so well or, you know, things things don't quite go to plan. So I think we were too reliant on on one individual to to um, set set up a brand new startup club, if that makes sense. Like we had some fucking incredible people on the ground over there. Some of the best people you've ever um, want to come across. Yeah. Uh, but they were just kind of doing what they were told by one one guy. So, you know. I think you need a bit more investment and resources when you're doing something like that. Because, mm, like, um, all I hear out of uh, the force is that it had an amazing culture. Like, even when they dropped them, it was like they're still going. They're like doing better than. <laughs> oh, the crowd <laughs> over the there. To, to, to Barty's point, like the, the Canberra crowd, unreal. The Western Force crowd, incredible over there, and they're yeah, still going. Yeah. They're still ch- chewing up their rugby like they've got that. They're getting bigger crowds than. Yeah. I know it's for the how yeah. competition yeah. last year that was there was lots of debate about who should have been dropped. <laughs> yeah, well, I think there was a few things, and I, look, I don't know enough about it. And Barty and I have fights about it all the time, <laughs> but I think there's 
a bit went on behind closed doors that, you know, had they had time again in reflection, it might have been a bit more sensible to keep the Western Australian team um, operational mm. in that competition. But it's all changing now, isn't it? The, the broadcast rights, you know, Twiggy's, Twiggy's back in there. I see he bought RM Williams today. today. Yeah. Did you ring yeah. him for a pair of boots, mate, or...? Mate, uh, that's an epic buyer. And um, Hugh Jackman got 10 mil out of it as well. Did he? Did he? Well, he owned, uh, I think he owned 5 five or 10% of the company, which made sense why he was a pinup boy. Have you seen his new ad? No. Mate, you've got to check it out. Look up Hugh Jackman's RM Williams ad. I'll have to do. It, it, it is probably one of the best bits of marketing I've ever seen. <laughs> I actually went and saw him live um, at his the um, greatest tour in the world thing. Yeah. And I, I, I really thought... Uh, this is going to be an absolute rubbish thing because it's literally like the Hugh Jackman show. I'm like, yeah. it's going to be a wank fest. Yeah. It was one of the best was it? musicals really? I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, well, uh, the, the Greatest Showman. No, no, it wasn't the Greatest Showman. It was the it was, was the, the Hugh Jackman show, and Jackman it was all of his like main bits he'd ever done. And he bought some like here's to it. He's just a great guy. Like I, I left there going, I want to be friends with that dude. He's <laughs> fucking yeah. amazing. Yeah, and like Baz Luhrmann and stuff were there on that on that final night. Like. All the big wigs for yeah. his final one in Brisbane. But he had uh, people who he had made friends with at the very start of his career all the way through. Like yeah. tight, loyal crew. Uh, he had a couple of indigenous guys who travelled yeah. all these movie sets whenever there was any indigenous stuff needed to be done. They're on it. So they came on stage and, and uh, talked about how they got to know each other because he spent like a, a couple of months in yeah. Kakadu or something and, and got to know him that way. But he was a Good bloke, yeah, and he can dance, it. yeah, and he can he's sing. Funny, he's looking, he's, he's funny ripped. as hell. Yeah, he's got the whole package. Oh, he's he's a good guy. Um, but so check out check out that ad. It's I will have to because they uh, he, he's yeah. Anyway, I won't spoil it. Have you seen? Uh, uh, I just love the band that goes on between him and uh, Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, yeah it's great. That has got to be the most yeah. hilarious yeah. Uh, shit talk wall ever. Is it still going? Yeah, is it? Yeah, yeah he no, did one good. recently. But uh, it's on uh, Instagram. Yeah, oh, okay. there it's was. An, it's an app on your phone, like um, <laughs> Instagram. <laughs> I got hacked today on Instagram. Oh, what? Yeah, I, know, I yeah. saw that. Yeah. Yeah. Who's trying to hack you, mate? I don't know. <laughs> Not sure. <laughs> Someone who's got nothing to do. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to ask you both this question because this is what I always uh, try to imagine: when you are going into rugby and then you actually become a professional athlete. What do you like? What goes through your head? Is it like a bit of a reality check? Because you're literally playing something that you love and getting paid for it. And like for me, when I play a sport, it's just fun. I enjoy what I'm doing. But to be a professional athlete and getting paid for something, well, there's a lot more at stake. Like if you get injured, you fuck, your career's done. Like all that. What's what's it like? Do you pinch yourself? And then what's the mental mode you have to go through in order to to get through that? Oh. Yeah. Look. I think, yeah, your, your first thought is, fuck, how good is this? Um, we're getting to do something we love, you know, and play in front of, you know, crowds and with some of the best players in the world. And, I mean, just going to training with some of those guys. I mean, uh. you growing up with the Reds with blokes of, like, mm. Warren and those sort of guys and, you know, down in Canberra with Gregan and those sort of guys. Um, yeah, you had to pinch yourself. Um, I think the thing I was probably lucky with in reflection is that, those guys had come through the amateur era. So, you know, the Gregans and the Larkhams and the Pat Howards and uh, the Rod Capers, they'd all gone and studied and worked and all this, you know, Brett Robinson was a doctor. And and so I saw that 
And so they were, you know, you thought I was excited to be a professional rugby player. These guys were thinking, this is unreal, because they were used to training, working, training. That yeah. was how they did it. And then all of a sudden they don't have to do that. They just have to play footy. But I think sink piss. No. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. We did a bit of that. <laughs> they did. Um, because those guys had had those careers and studied and all that, it sort of rubbed off on me. So I thought, well, shit, I'm not as good as these blokes. Um, if I get hurt... I need something to, to go and do. So I always had that in the back of my mind that I wasn't as good as these blokes if I'm lucky enough to stay in the team and stay, you know, Why play. did you think that, though? You literally... Oh, because oh, some of these blokes are absolute superstars of the game, you know, mm, and, yeah. you know, in my position, I was just trying to be in the team yep. and, and play as well as I could. So uh, I knew that pretty early, and so I tried to finish my study, tried to do some work when I could because I didn't know when it was going to end, and, you know, yeah. it was probably just fortunate that it... You know, dragged on. As as Roffy said when I retired, he said, Yeah, mate, the fins were hitting the sand, weren't they? <laughs> <laughs> I thought, fuck, you could have told me that two years ago, mate. I would have retired two years earlier. <laughs> That's a great saying. <laughs> oh, well, it's not too far. We had a wheel body out like a special special player in in, in, in an NFL offense for his for a captain's run when he finished at the four. So we ended up playing at the four together. That's right, yeah, because he came. Yeah, he, did, yeah. Yeah. he came back from like in Italy or somewhere, and he was like a busted ass old Monaro, <laughs> just on, up on the up on the blocks. And um, the poor bugger, like he was such an athletic fellow when he was younger, and his body just kind of gave way. And I remember. Like he'd be playing five eight for us, and he couldn't train all week because if he'd run, he'd tear his calves. So we'd we'd roll him out for ten minutes of the captain's run, and he'd just like shuffle around, and then he'd just run out for the game on the week on Saturday. And we'd be like, "Yeah, no, Barty, be right," and he'd get through the game and spend all week recovering. Good warm up, mate. Should have yeah. given half my money back, shouldn't I? <laughs> <laughs> he did half the work. <laughs> I forgot. It wasn't that long because when you finished up at um, the Brumbies, you went over to the UK. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, went to went to Saracens there yes. in London for a couple of years, and then uh, went to uh, Northern Ireland for a couple of That's years. Right, and played yeah. for uh, a province called Ulster with uh, one of Sharpie's really good mates, Justin Harrison, his second row yeah. Yeah. partner in the he World Cup. A, I loved Harrison, funny, yeah. funny guy, yeah. and he was just aggressive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. With yeah. not with with, with, with no that. capability. <laughs> 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 he just used to get under people's yeah. skin. It was oh, great. Yeah, it was yeah. awesome. Uh, no, he actually could stay. Actually, he loved he loved the punch on. Yeah, we, <laughs> yeah. when Harrison's on, was always knew it was going to be a bit of fun. Yeah, at some, some stage. So you play with Harrison over there. Yeah, I played with the Brumbies, and we oh, were good okay, mates right, yeah. from from there. Um, and then, yeah, I was my contract was up in London, and um, so he said, "Mate, won't you come over here?" So I went over there for a couple of years, and it was good fun. Great people. Weather was terrible. And then you went to Italy. Yeah, and then uh, we I'd sort of had this. Um, uh, goal, I guess, or idea that I wanted to finish my career in, you know, France or Italy, playing over there because shit place to do it as well. Yeah, just, <laughs> some, just something completely different. We wanted to experience the culture and the lifestyle, so um, it ended up being Italy, and it was yeah, it was awesome, yeah. amazing. Where, what part of Italy? Uh, place called Padova, which is about uh, forty minutes southwest of Venice. So we used to catch a train to Venice for lunch some days. It was, um, but it's so, it's so nice though, so like. Barty's family, they're all, that time they spend in Italy, like it's ingrained in them. It's really, yeah, uh, they, they still love it, you know, and I, I love Italy as well, but yeah, just I the influence they had on their family, um, unreal. Well, so I saw the photos, you showed me one day all the photos, and it's just amazing, like they're, did they, did they start learning Italian as well? Or? Yeah, so my two oldest, every year, uh, 
eight and nine. They still do um, Italian at school and yeah, yeah, going really well. And Megs and my wife and I still talk it as much as we so can. So you you learnt it as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were probably sixty five percent. Give us something. Give us something. So, Sharp needs to hurry up. Because <laughs> the voice hard up. No. <laughs> what did you say? I said, now, what do you want to know? <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Um, and that's another thing that, like, rugby's been able to do for you as well, hey, just that you travel. Yeah, well, I think three years ago we went on a family holiday to Italy and um, the halfback of the team that I played in over there was living in Rome. So we went round to his house and, you know, they cooked up a three-course meal. And I went, actually, this shirt I got on tonight... Roma. Went down to his brother's rugby club. He said, can you come down and do some coaching? So I went down there and, you know, just pretty good experiences through people you meet and play with, um, you know, from all over the world. So, yeah. Did you – you didn't do anything overseas? No, no, clubs, I finished up here in, yeah, into 2012. Yeah, I sort of finished and, um, yeah, wrapped it up at Millennium Stadium. So I'd, I just didn't – the way my career panned out, I guess it just didn't line up to – Last kick of know, the game? Yeah, stadium. Yeah, Millennium yeah, Stadium. That, yeah. yeah, straight as a die. Just <laughs> short as shit. <laughs> <laughs> but it, interestingly enough, on that though, I remember lying it up, and and the boys are like, "Mate, don't kick it too hard," because I was, wasn't a bad kicker from I, my AF, AFL yeah. days, so I knew how to swing it. But I just, uh, as I got older, like every time I'd mark around at captain's run or whatever, kicking the footy, I used to hurt my back, and I was getting too <laughs> old for it. So I hadn't kicked the ball properly for a fair while, a couple of years at least, and. um they were like, just, mate, don't try and kick it too hard. Don't try and kick it hard. Just, you, you'll get it over. Just get it, just like just get did, it straight. Did it get yes. to the 22? Or? <laughs> <laughs> it was in the sideline, right? So we, we, were, we were four points, uh, no, three points down and the full time was done and we were five metres out from uh, our line. We went the whole length of the field and Kirtley Beals scored in the corner. So it was a mo- unbelievable turnaround. Wales were shattered because they were on the back of I remember like watching that game with my mates. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So... But I kicked this ball and I remember hitting it going, oh, fuck, I've hit that well. <laughs> and it's going straight, straight. And then it just like kind of just died dropped. and dropped like literally <laughs> halfway between me and the sticks. And it was quite <laughs> embarrassing because, you know, when you're playing golf, you don't want to leave it short, yeah, right? Yeah. Like you got to have a crack at it. Yeah. I didn't even give it a chance. And so, um, yeah, I never got another chance to, to hit one over. So, a bit embarrassing. Were you nervous leading to that? Or is this, is this like uh, a bit of piss and fun just on that last kick? Oh mate, I was I was nervous as a kitten because um, I kept on saying to the um, referee Wayne Barnes, who, who who I really like Wayne Barnes, he probably polarises people. We get along pretty well the whole way through my career, and and he's like, and I was like, mate, if I hit this, are we are we over? And he's like, Sharpie, kick the ball. I said, no, no, mate, but if I hit this and I miss it, is the game over? And he goes, Sharpie, kick the ball. And I said, Wayne. If I miss this, is the game over? He goes, Sharpie, kick the fucking ball. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, right, I'll kick the ball. How good. Did you guys yeah. have a good relationship with the referee, especially when it's at that high level? Because there's not. Yeah, after a while you do. Like, yeah. um, particular. Well, the forwards are a bit different. Like wingers and that, and fullbacks, they're they're kind of so removed from yeah. the. But every time you scrum pack down for a scrum or a line out, like we're constantly whinging in their ears and telling a refereeing forum, so they kind of get a bit of um, a bit of an understanding as to. Um, Andre Watson asked me for my uh, jersey after the 2004 final. He said, this is my last game. I said, well, it's my last game too. Piss <laughs> off. It's <laughs> <laughs> a bit cheeky. <laughs> Jeez, not bad. Wow. And so uh, with the referees, like you always saw George Smith just giving it to, to – um, uh, not George Smith. Um, 
Gregan. Gregan. Yeah. George Gregan absolutely shit talking the ref or getting yeah. in his ear. How much of an effect did that have on the games? Yeah, well, I think it's funny, you know, like in reflection, I reckon you you can handle referees a certain way. Like, Because um, no one seems to be talking the ref at the moment. Like, it's, Yeah. It's, it's very cl- like it's clean. Almost like, it's almost like man management, you know, like the different – you know, everyone always seems to say how good or how well the All Blacks manage the referee. Well, when you're the dominant team – you got nothing to whinge about, you know. So Richie McCall in those rocks, though. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but if you think about it, as a, in terms of a tactic, he played the game on on a very uh, fine line. And if I'm the All Blacks coach, I'm going to tell him to do that every week because all the referees do is look for Richie McCall, so that Richie plays that way. And then when the, when he starts getting penalised, then yeah, he can pull back or he gets sent off. But the rest of the team can do whatever the fuck they want because yeah. all he's looking for is Richie Rich McCall. McCall. So you like think back to the the oh the twenty eleven World Cup final against France, and you know all the referee was just watching Richie McCall, but Jerome Kino and everyone else was lying all <laughs> over the ball and doing whatever they wanted. It was almost like a self fulfilling prophecy that um, you know they they managed that beautifully. Like if you look at that in reflection of how you how you want a scenario to pan out, that's exactly what you'd want one player to be the the uh, focal point of the referee and everyone else just has a hoot in time doing what they want. <laughs> um, speaking of Wallabies, like you both represented Australia <laughs> at junior level. I, so I, don't, I, I hope this doesn't offend you, Barty. No, no, <laughs> but there's a story behind it. <laughs> but on the, uh, I did your research and it actually named you as a record holder the third shortest time in the Australian on-field. Bronze medal. Two two minutes and thirty three seconds, I think it was. Yes, you got there though. You got there. There, yeah. there is a story behind it, which I, I don't think too many people have actually heard. They just they just tend to put shit on me about, <laughs> it, which is which is well, quite quite uh, <laughs> fair enough. But well, number one, you made the fucking team and you ran the field, so that you were. What is it? What number cap? Do you remember what cap? Seven eighty one or something. That's it. Yeah. 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 I was, was going to say eight seventy one, but I think it's seven eighty one. Yep. Um, no, it couldn't have been. You after me? Yeah, yeah, you, yeah, you yeah, were. You played. That was the tour you missed, wasn't it? Two I missed, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So what had happened, mate? I was, uh, I actually got married down the road here. And as you do with, with uh, rugby, you have to plan it around your mates and teams and all that. The Wallabies were going into camp the next day. So we got married on a Friday night here in Brisbane. Uh, all great. All the boys came and then they went into camp. I wasn't in the, in the touring Wallaby squad. I went on my honeymoon, came back. Got back to Canberra, about to start pre-season training the next day, watching the Wallabies play Argentina over there, and Ben Chin does his hamstring. So I get called into the squad. Again. Yeah, I got <laughs> so called <laughs> called into the squad, and I'm, you know, I'm happy as Larry. I've finally, you know, I've been to Shadow a few times, but never got called in for whatever reason. Um, and so we get to the airport, and there's Brendan Cannon. He's got called, called into it as well, because Jeremy Paul's done his hamstring as well. So we're sitting on the plane, you know, on the way over, and I'm, you know, Cheshire cat, feeling yeah. like a Cheshire cat, thinking this is great. And Brendan Cannon's swearing under his breath. He wants to kill Eddie Jones because he should have been picked in the first place. And I'm, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to give it to this. You know, he was absolutely filthy. <laughs> and so uh, we get over there. Anyway, we we get to Ireland, and I don't I don't play. I'm not in the I'm not in the twenty twenty two at that stage. Play England at Twickenham the next week. Same thing. Not in the twenty two. And then we get to the last test of the tour in Italy and we're at training. And we've had a few more injuries by this stage. And I'm, oh, I'm going to play. I'm going to make my test debut. Anyway, did my hamstring at training. 
So I, I've got a hamstring strain. Did you tell anyone? Uh, yeah. So they knew, right. right? So I couldn't train much during the week. I did it on the Tuesday. Um, we get to the Friday. It's captain's rung. And they're, they're literally choosing between me and Nick Stiles for that 20-second spot. <laughs> and Nick, Nick Stiles is a prop, obviously. And I was probably, oh, I don't know, I was probably 85% fit. You know, I wasn't fully fit. So, you know, I still get picked. Sing national anthem, do, do all that stuff. It's great. Yeah. Um, we're pumping Italy. It's in a place called Genoa. And um, anyway, with 15 minutes to go, Sterling Mortlock was picked at fullback. And he knows. He was a gun as well. He was a gun, yeah. And he was my first roommate in Canberra along with Jeremy Paul. The three of us um, stayed together when we first went to Canberra. So he's looked over. Eddie's cleared the bench. And I'm the only one sitting there on, on you know, by myself. Because Eddie knows I'm injured, so he doesn't really want to put me on the field. But Sterlow wants me to get capped for the Wallabies. So he get, keeps going down with cramp. And it goes and it goes and it goes and it goes. And that's why I only played two minutes, 33 <laughs> seconds. Because he wasn't really going to put me on the field until Sterlow just said, I've got to come off because he wanted to get me capped. What a good so dude. That's oh, my story. God. Yeah. That yeah. is legit. Well, Sterling Mortlock was amazing. He was. He's yeah. a freak as well. He's just funny. That's a good story. Yeah. So have you not told that before? No, I don't, I don't really tell that story to many people because people just take the piss out of me and whatever, and I'll go, oh, yeah, whatever, and move on. But <laughs> no, That's pretty good. That yeah. is actually amazing. The boys used to look after it. Like, particularly Brumbies boys were really good at that yeah. stuff. Like, it was, um, yeah, that was why they were such a good team for a long period yeah, of time. Yeah, that's amazing. Because, yeah, you got capped. You still get to say you ran out. You got to do the national anthem and everything. So Yeah, look, and, um, you know, take that rather than, rather than not, not getting on the field, that's for sure. 100%. And then over to you. You, well, I'm going to read yours. 116 tests played for the Wallabies, including 20 as captain. That's amazing. Over, uh, yeah, well, mate, it's one of those things you just uh, you you put your head down and and walk up the hill, don't you? And you don't really know what you're doing until you until you kind of get to the to the top, I suppose. So, um, what was it like? Because you were both part of the squads. What was it like when you actually got to the Wallabies? Because like it was literally the most famous rugby team until England started winning and 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 the All Blacks started yeah, coming oh through. Yeah, mate, it was unreal. Because like, I played in like '98, '99 against all the Wallabies that won in '99, and then um, you know my debut was '02. Um, the year after Eels, you retired, and I had all my, you know, I guess my heroes in in, in my in the team. So I, all I I didn't care who I was playing against. Like, we were playing France, but I couldn't have given two hoots about it. I was just more worried about letting those blokes down. Yeah. Because it was Stephen Larkham's and the Gregans and guys I played against but I hadn't played with. I just wanted to make sure that when they came off the field, they didn't go, who's this dud that we've, you know, that's got a got a, got a a jersey with, with us, you know. So, Absolutely. Um, yeah, so that was, that was kind of like you asked about how when you're playing rugby, like, do you feel... Do you pinch yourself? I guess at the start, the, the first few games, you're always in that uh, honeymoon period, I suppose. Mm. Um, and that was certainly that for me, getting to play with those guys. Then it becomes normal because you're always doing it at that high level as well. Yeah. And I reckon I reckon everyone, every player's career goes through a period where they, they really find a really sweet spot of how they play, they understand their preparation. Yeah. And then I reckon every player goes through a shit patch where they go, oh, God, and they then they start worrying about not getting picked again. Yeah. You know, like they go through a period where they're like, God, this could end or, you know, I'm not playing that well, but, not, you know, someone else is coming up um, on me. And, and then I guess that's where your luck of the draw kind of comes out. You either leave the game and, and um, 
or you or you come back. And I guess I was a bit lucky in the end there, where I kind of went through that period, like I got dropped in 08 for a few games, and it was kind of like the world had sort of ended because it was the first time I'd ever been dropped. Why and did they? Why did they drop you? Uh, I must have just been playing shit house, you know, um, through that period, and um, whether or not I agree with them, it didn't matter. That's what <laughs> had happened. Yeah. Um, and then uh, yeah, once you came over that period where you weren't, it wasn't so bad on the other side, then it probably freed you up to become a better player as it was anyway. So, you know, towards the end, um, that was probably some of the best most enjoyable footy I played. Like, I remember getting into games and I was so comfortable with... I, I knew once I got across the line exactly what I had to do. I was in control of my game. I knew what my weaknesses were. I knew what my strengths were. Um, but I'd get to the point where I started my career like headbutting walls <laughs> to try and get myself fired up for games. Actually headbutting walls? Oh, like like telling <laughs> myself, like, I used to hate my position and I want to, you know, rip his head off and stuff. <laughs> to the point where the, at the end, like, I, I'd be in the change of just falling asleep and I could get to the point where I... As soon as I put the boots on and warmed up, I was on and crossed the white line. I was I was into it. I knew what I was doing, you know. So that was quite an enjoyable last two or three years where I was just in control of what I could control, you know. Everything, yeah. yeah. Um, what was it like when you're running out to a World Cup final and you have how many fucking thousand people screaming at you? Oh yeah, look, that was an incredible moment. I, I guess you in reflection, I, you go well. Because you literally, I have a snapshot of that right now. I'm looking at, like, just imagine looking up at that and everyone is just screaming at their teams all around the world and then you had know, people watching at home home on TV or whatever. It is actually yeah, fucking mind-blowing. But you're there to do your job, right? So yes. you don't think about that stuff too much yeah. and you're probably just proud of what you're, what you're, who you're representing. Um, what are you thinking about, though? Because, like, I remember when I used to run track, t- tunnel vision. Like, as soon as you hit that state, you're in the zone. Oh, it's all noise. <laughs> yeah. It's done. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I think I think um, probably um, we didn't play very well in that final. Not at England, to be fair. It was a pretty dour game, but it's it was just Johnny Wilkinson, mate. Uh, well, it just became a game that was a bit of a like, like literally the irony of that whole World Cup final. Like Eddie Jones took us to Darwin in in the pre World Cup camp, so we'd get acclimatised to playing the grant the final in in the heat of um, the Australian because it was I think. The finals in November first or something like that, which is generally hotter in yeah. Australia. And so in winter, he took us to Darwin. We acclimatised up there. We got belted for five days, getting flogged in this heat, getting getting fitter, getting fitter. And then um, the whole World Cup was dry, like not a skerrick of rain yeah. to be seen. And we pl- we we beat the Kiwis in the semi final the week before. And then um, beautiful week. I remember just waking up in the morning of the final, opening the windows, and it was just. <laughs> Pissing rain and dreary, <laughs> and I was just at about sixteen degrees. I was like, "Oh, God. Well, poms, poms are cheering." Yeah, yeah, no, How good is this? Yeah. this is Tuesday morning. You don't think about it in the in the scheme of things, but you, in, when you when you when you think about it in, in uh, hindsight, it's quite ironic. But um, yeah, no, we just we probably be a bit too emotional, um, and n- neither team really executed that well that day. But it was the start of my career with the Wallabies, so you kind of think, "Oh, we'll get to the next one." But then you get to 2007, a better team than what I reckon we had in 03. Mm. Like we, we, we'd given it to everyone that year. Like we'd beaten, we won all with the All Blacks. We dusted them in Melbourne. We, we bashed the, the, the bejesus out of the Springboks over and crushed them. Yeah. yeah. No, we, we'd beaten them here, but like we, we, had, a di- we had a pretty robust um, 
forward pack. Bernie was playing. He was like in the twilight of his career, but he was just controlling uh, Stephen Larkham. Mm -hmm. um, and um, like we were pretty, pretty uh, ferocious team. Anyway, we got through the final. We got through the World Cup. Um, pool matches, no problems. Like we dusted Wales in Wales by heaps. And um, but what had happened is we hadn't actually decided to. You know, the, everyone just relied on Bernie on Stephen so much. No, we didn't even have an understudy. Like Berwick Barnes had played one game for the Wallabies, uh, and Bernie. Uh, had hurt his knee a couple of weeks before, so he. It was almost like the Poms had lost two of their pool games. Um, I remember packing our bags, and all the guys were pretty upbeat because England hadn't been good at all. We got to Marseille; all our bags had gone, had been sent up to Paris for the, the finals. Like it was almost <laughs> drink, everyone just thought we would. Hadn't even considered losing, you know. Anyway, we went out there without without Steve and. Um, all they did was just make it an absolute dogfight at the breakdown, and we had a we had a particularly poor scrum that year. And every time we took the ball in a ruck, they'd stop it. We have a scrum, we'd get the ball, but they just pushed off the ball, and we just didn't even we never adapted. You know, we lost twelve ten in Marseille, and that was the end of it. So that was a it didn't have anything to do with their little skin suits they wore. That was the remember that was the year they put the high, the super tight did uh, they suits? And was that that was in France? Was it? Yeah, it would have been. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They had the uh, all the wingers and yeah, they did because because uh, I remember like uh, I, I remember <laughs> I remember. Uh, Do you remember that? Matt uh, Martin Corey, who was the, who was the number six for England. I remember in that in that final because we were quite confident going into it, and uh, Matt Dunning, who was a our <laughs> front, <right? laughs> the keg. Yeah, well, we were having a bad scout the scrum, and this Martin Corey was like getting into Matt Dunning about being <laughs> fat. <laughs> And I remember like having this brain explosion because I, I didn't like to chat too much. I'd because that's the surest way to get egg on your face. Yeah. And um, anyway, he was. They were all getting stuck into Matt, and I just turned to Matt, Martin Corey. Mate, he's a front rower. Look how fat you are. You look like a sausage in that suit or something like that. <laughs> and I was swearing, and he like looked at me. and He's like, well, mate, "What's going on here?" Like I was having to go out your prop, and you were turning on me, sort of thing. <laughs> but, um, yeah. So, mate, that was uh, that was disappointing. And then and then 2011, you know, Kiwis were just too good. Yeah. Um, uh, we we lost Ireland in the pool matches and um, New Zealand at home. Uh, they kind of had the wood on us for a while. So yeah, it's so yeah. You get to you get to the end of it. And um, have I done something there? Uh, have you? Oh yeah. Got to that out. Got a mic drop out. I don't know. Yeah, I think it's probably that. Doesn't matter. Technical. Sorry, technical difficulty. Um, <laughs> is this one? This one's working again? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, can you hear it now? No, not yet, but I'll put it back in after no. this. Um, we'll get it and fix it up. Yeah, one of the uh, – <coughs> you, you get to the end of your career and go, oh, we came pretty close, but we didn't get there. So, um, you know, that's a that's a regret. You know, you've always always got to live with, I suppose. Mm. <laughs> I don't even want to say that. <laughs> it's just devastating at the end. Yeah. But it was an awesome experience, though. Oh, unbelievable. You know, like I was lucky enough to win all the, the – Won one bledders the last bledders we won, and Tri Nations, and uh, we beat all the other nations. Well, we beat everyone at some stage in, in the world, and, and um, yeah, we just couldn't get. I just couldn't get a job done at the World Cup, unfortunately. Mm. So, what was um, it like being trained under Eddie Jones? Because some people were trying to get him to come back over the f this year. Oh yeah, Eddie's a, he's an unreal, like he was Barty's coach for a lot of those years. Yeah, with the, with the Brumbies, um, he, he's an incredible coach. Like he. Uh, he pulls the right reins, and I think he would have gotten better with age as well. Um, 
when he first came into the Wallabies, he had a certain way of coaching. And then I think under pressure, he in maybe 04, 05, he kind of changed his methodology a little bit and just didn't work out. And, mm. you know, he had a, a really abrupt parting with Australian rugby and um, it, was a, it was a tough period of time for him and I think for Australia as well. So, um, yeah, he, he, was a, he was the best coach I had. Really? Um, Why? It, what it, made him the best coach? Oh, he just knew how to, at the start, give players autonomy. But it also coincided with the fact that he had guys like Stephen Larkham and the like there that were running the show for him. So he gave them the amount of autonomy they needed. They ran the game plan that he, you know, designed with them. And then 05 was when he really came under pressure. But, you know, Stephen Larkham, a whole bunch of older players that he'd had at the Brumbies weren't there. So mm. I think he was trying to reinvent things and that put a lot of pressure on... on Everyone else in the team, you know. So, um, yeah, 05 he finished up and, and um, that was that. How about you, buddy? What with working with um, with Eddie? Eddie. Yeah, look, uh, he by far the best coach I ever had. Um, I think the reason why was because he sort of he got the best out of everyone. He found a way. Like he, he knew with the Gregans, Larkhams, Finnegans, Ross, you know, he could just leave them and he knew they'd be sensational. Whereas myself, Jeremy Paul, Sterling Mortlock as young young blokes, twenty year olds or whatever coming through, he uh he was very, very hard on us. And like uh, what? Oh, he just give it to us. Just really? absolutely give it to us. But he, he sort of did that with the young blokes coming through as a bit of a test, I think. And the ones that sort of could cop it and cop the feedback and criticism and then get on with it and work harder and get through it, well then he loved them. But the other ones that were weak, or the, what, what he perceived as weak, mm. he just got rid of them. Yeah, okay. Yeah. But I, interestingly yeah. enough, I was listening to a podcast the other day. I was with Eddie and Joe Roth, and um, they asked him about differences between coaching, you know, back when he coached Roffy and Sharpie and, you know, the Brumbies and all mm. that, and, and now coaching England. And he said back in those days, which is black and white, but now it's grey. And I think what he was talking about was how you treat the players, that... Yeah, do the right thing, no problem. Do the wrong thing, you're gone. Now it's a bit more grey with, mm. you know, a different uh, generation, I guess, and yeah. how you have to manage uh, giving feedback and trying to get the best out of them. Wow. You know, so... Um, what, is he referring, like, you can't be harsh on them because the well, players are I'd too soft or I'd it's too politically incorrect or...? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I took it as that, but I, I mm. you know, but it was just interesting because you know, I mean, Sharpie heard some of the stories down in Canberra, and you would have had your own ones with <laughs> the Wallabies. Oh, yeah, Jeez, yeah. he just <laughs> absolutely tore blokes to pieces. Really, they like, dressed down. Oh, mate. Oh, yeah. One, oh. there was one bloke. One bloke. You guys are all young. like fucking huge people, though. So he just rolls in and just. Oh. Yeah, but he controls the selection stick. So oh, yeah, yeah. He reduced. He reduced yeah. grown men to tears. No, yeah, yeah several wow. times. There's a number of them that when they push back uh, to the point of retaliation, it was like, ah, all right, I've, you've stood up to me, let's get on. And his whole relationship with them completely changed wow. in, within the space of three seconds. Just that respect thing. Uh, it was just kind of like, well, finally this person's taken up, has taken a, uh, made a decision to, to stand their ground, you know. So you reckon he was doing it on purpose oh, to yeah. test you? I mean, it, he was... There's nothing Eddie did that wasn't was a coincidence. He okay. he thought about everything. He was, and still would be. He every everything that uh, Eddie says at press conferences, he's put a lot of thought into how that's going to play out. Yeah, because I was even watching in the um the box when he was in England, 
he just he just looks he's just like yep got everything planned out yeah I mean to the point of you know if you watch him in press conferences with England and that he'll say something that's completely designed to <laughs> throw the opposition off or create a furor in the press and take the focus off other areas you know to in the betterment of his team always in the betterment of his team he 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 doesn't say throwaway remarks so he's, yeah when you see him coaching with England you'll if you if you watch him um, amazing yeah uh so we we kind of skipped a big bit but uh you two went end up playing together and so were you guys friends how tight have you guys been the whole way through your your careers we separated i suppose from the <laughs> 21s and then yeah. you know Barty went and held all these super rugby trophies above his head and, <laughs> and <laughs> played an island and and uh and Italy, and then we reconnected in Perth. I came back, and he was the mayor of Perth, mate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we he rolled out the red carpet, said, "Oh, geez, I've got a, I've got another bloke who's actually the wrong side of thirty to have a couple of years with," because all the other other yeah, guys were, were, were pretty young. So old um, blokes, it was yeah. good. Uh, yeah. So then, and then we both moved back to. He came back in twenty eleven, I think, and yep. I came back twenty twelve, uh, twenty thirteen. So, and we've been tight since. Amazing. And so that was the end. Well, pretty much, you both wrapped up your careers um, on there. I want to go into life after sport, um, but what were probably what's your fondest memory or, or the best memory you ever had playing footy? Playing, playing footy. Oh, game wise, I think um, you know, 03 World Cup final was probably pretty special. Semi final against the Kiwis. Yep. Um, you know, they were good memories, and I, I liked Benny England at, in Twickenham whenever <laughs> we did that. That was worse. That was always enjoyable. Anything you would have done differently if you had it time over again? Um, I can't really say that because I made the decisions at the time that I thought were right. Um, I probably wish I had gotten to the state I was in a bit quicker in my career towards the end. Okay. You know, but um, it's just the journey of life, I suppose, isn't it? Everyone yeah. looks back Hindsight's at that. So amazing. So I can't, I, can't, I can't make that statement really with any sort of substance, I don't think. Did you have any enemies on the field? Like this person you just wanted to smash? Victor Matfield? Uh, yeah, no, we had a few good, had a few good stouches. A line-out nerds are a bit technical. Like they like putting together like a chess game in, in that piece of set set play. And um, I, I really enjoyed that part of the strategy in, in um, games to the point where, you know, most of the players in the team thought it was irrelevant. But... Um, <laughs> No, just get me the ball, mate. Just give me the ball. <laughs> we don't care. Just give me the ball. But I always used to playing against Matfield was always a challenge um, for a number of reasons. Like he he was very good at uh, organising his line out, and he had five other dudes about my height. Whereas we always always picked two second rowers and and three gnomes in the back row, like <laughs> George Smith and Phil War, and, Phil War yeah. and David Lyons or something like that. And I always remember Eddie like going, for fuck's sake, just win us the fucking ball. And I'm like, mate, you win the ball. Have you seen us <laughs> like these dudes? And he got, and he got George Smith, like, couldn't, couldn't be interested in jumping a line out. He's like, yeah, where's the next breakdown, dude? Yeah. Where's the next breakdown, dude? <laughs> he, he was just hanging off the back. Yeah, he, was like our, he was like our third best jumper. And you're like, what? <laughs> if you're South Africa, what are you going to do? Just mark our two second rowers and good luck yeah. the rest of it. Anyway, so th- that was always a challenge. So, Having to put lineouts together that could counter that was um, uh, was always enjoyable. But in terms of uh, black, there's a few blacks I didn't like, but yeah. um, I couldn't catch most of them. Really? What? They're oh, they're all backs. Oh, yeah. All backs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jerry Collins, um, you know, he passed away a few years ago, unfortunately. But um, 
he he used to knock me out quite a bit. So um, <laughs> knock you out, <where? laughs> <laughs> yeah, in tackles. Yeah. He was yeah. he's a captain of the Granite Fifteen. Yeah, he? he's hard as nails. Jesus Christ! I wasn't the only bloke. He used to knock blokes yeah. out every game, just about. I reckon that's ridiculous. The hard hitting man. Yeah, and high like he he just <laughs> spelt it. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. He's ruthless. how big was he? Because you're fucking. No, nah, but he was like Tabati. We always had this thing called the Granite Fifteen. So yeah, there's a difference between um, like tackling, you know, twenty kilos of cement as opposed to twenty kilos of, uh, you know, a um, medicine ball or something. You know, like some guys, it was just like every part of their body was just a dense. Yeah, yeah dense. And he was the densest of the <laughs> dense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that makes sense. Granite 15. Yeah. Granite 15. Yeah, we yeah. used to pick that every year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hardest men in the yeah. year. <laughs> People to stay away from. Yeah. Jesus. And how about you, buddy? What was your fa- fondest memory? Oh, I, th- I think definitely, you know, being part of those teams, I suppose, the finals in Canberra were, were just rewarding, I suppose, because we'd, we'd sort of come together as a group, um, some superstars, but they were still pretty young as well, and then, and then a lot of young blokes and sort of grown together over a period of sort of five to seven years. So, you know, that was, um, yeah, rewarding and, you know, it was a great part of uh, my life and, and my wife, you know, as well when she, she moved down to Canberra and was part of it as well. I think that was that was the other thing about it down there was that it was real – it wasn't just about the, the players. It was about the players, their partners, their parents. It was a really close-knit – uh, group and um, and the community was very close as well. We did a lot of stuff out in the community with schools and clubs and awesome. um, yeah, very small town, obviously Canberra. So you know, really close knit um, community. Uh, yeah, that was that was you know good fun. Anything you do again, or anything that you wish you had done? Uh, yeah, look, I think you s- you think about that sometimes. You know, you make the decision to go overseas, and obviously you you know part of that is financial. The other part is. Um, Know, wanting to experience something different from a rugby sense and then travel, which was really appealing to me and my wife. Uh, we we wanted to you know, see as many places in Europe as we could, and we did that. But, you know, the flip side of that is you go, hang on, if if I'd have stayed in Australia, I might have played a few more test matches, you know. So you think about that, but then I think, well, look, I wouldn't change, I wouldn't change that decision because I had some great times overseas as well in you know, three different countries, met a lot of different people, you know, enjoyed London, enjoyed Ireland and enjoyed Italy for all different reasons. Um, so when, when you think of it like that, you know, I wouldn't change it. Yeah. And you've learned language out of it, amazing yeah. times with your family as well. Like yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's it's now, right, when do we think we can go back? You know, <laughs> not, now it's not going to be for a while, yeah, obviously, yeah, but yeah. when do we think we can go back to Italy and Ireland and, and London and see our friends and you know, go and see some of those great places that we, you know, were able to see when we when we lived over there. And did you have any uh, enemies on the field? Um, I don't know about enemies. You know, we were talking about the Granite 15 and, and probably a bloke who's not necessarily too well known, a bloke called Bruce Rayhana, played for the Chiefs. I had to mark him all the time and he was, he was definitely in the Granite 15. He was bloody hard to tackle. Um and then um, and Jonah as well. I had to had to mark him a few times. So you know, but I always thought that was a good a good thing because I went, well, shit, I can't lose here. Yeah. Everyone expects me not to tackle him, and, and and for me to look stupid. So if I tackle him, you know, and you you get know him. I've exceeded expectations. <laughs> so it, it's a it's a a win win situation. Amazing. Now, 
life after sport because you, you guys both have amazing careers now after sport. You both own businesses together and, I don't know, maybe separately as well. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, and then you've got your professional careers as well. What was it like, that transition straight out of being a part of a professional s- sportsman team and then into the real world? Oh, I think it was different for both of us. Like, Barty, um, Barty was really, uh, and he can talk for himself, but he was very organised and he, he's already mentioned tonight that he was yeah getting... Uh, That's because I, I was no good at rugby, mate. Yeah. <laughs> That's not true. Anywhere. Not at all, sir. But, um, yeah, he was he was pretty organised and kind of put himself into that. You know, he came back into Australia and he was working while he's playing and, um, you know, it was quite strategic around it. Um, for me... You know, a, a, a good mate of mine and I kind of hatched some plans about 18 months before retired. And, um, you know, I think I just I was lucky enough to be around some, some good people, some quality people, which uh, to this day and age, you know, I probably pride myself on, not through choice or, ch- or anything other than probably chance, but I've got some amazing humans in my life. So um, it was good we started a company and... Um, servicing his family company and then we grew it externally and um you know we built that over a course of seven or eight years and what then industry was that in uh construction and and um mining yeah, so cool. we effectively um ran a labor hire company for those industries and we we kind of grew it to you know a reasonably significant business and then sold it three years ago amazing um, yeah so and i'm still working with a company that uh, acquired us from um uh from amsterdam so uh that's that was a that was a pretty cool journey to to start something up, and <coughs> you know, I, I knew not a lot about the, those industries, but to, to to learn on the road, um, and just you know that scenario of being able to um, learn on the run yep. is um, something that I'm very appreciative of because uh, you know, as Barty will probably attest to, he, he and I have got very different um, uh, skill sets, I suppose. I'm nowhere near as structured as Barty. And that was a bit of a testy blowout there. Yeah, it was, wasn't <laughs> it? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't heard those for a while. Yeah. <laughs> <coughs> so, so, we, we, so, Sorry, so then Barty and I, we were, uh, we were mucking around <laughs> trying to stay fit after footy, Barty having more success than I was. But, yeah. um, but he was meant to be the grandpa one. It was all banged up. Yeah, but, he, mate, if he's, he's, if you bear witness to his genetics, I don't think he's ever going to get fat like me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, we, we we were looking for some training options. We got sick of sort of doing our own thing, and Barty said, "Oh, well, let's go and check out this um, F forty five franchise that had started up." So we went and trained there, and we both really liked it. And then yeah. we sort of pursued that, and went down to Sydney and did a session with the trainers from F forty five, and they flogged us because they knew we were ex athletes, <laughs> and, and and one of them was a Kiwi, so he wanted to give it a <laughs> shot. Yeah, yeah, they, they gave <laughs> it to, to us. You up. Yeah, and then um, yeah, we thought this is a pretty good thing, so we took the. Um, a couple of locations in, what uh, well one location with a couple of um, facilities in yep. in Brisbane, yep. and um, yeah, we established that and, and grew it together. So it's been it's been really good. Mm-hmm. As I said, you know, Barty's got a great attention to detail, whereas I'm kind of like, uh, let's just have a crack sort of thing. So we work pretty well together in, awesome. that, in that scenario. And so, how was it going from like growing your 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 labour hire business yep. to franchise model because they're completely different styles of business? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's chalk and cheese, really. But I still I still think that um, with the franchise model, the control that Barty brought to the business in terms of understanding numbers and 
what our break-even point was was really important. Yeah. And we negotiated good deals up front, which um, allowed us to be that's profitable. Made. That's where it's the day you sign the contract, right? So, yeah. um, so it's been a, it's been a good experience and just watching that evolve over time. And 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 you know, we'll we'll assume we're probably always going to look to do some things together. So, because um, we work pretty well together. And I think the other thing is that we're probably the most important thing that I've um, realised. Yeah, thanks, yeah. mate. Uh, just having people that are moral, morally aligned, like um, same values. Yeah, and not feeling like I'd, well, I would never worry. I would never lie in bed at night worrying whether <laughs> or not you know, Barty was doing something inappropriate. And that's the same as the other um, business that was involved in. You know, it was never that was never a concern. You know, it was more about just teaming up and trying to get a good result. And then we brought other good people in the business as well. Yeah, because that's how I met you guys. I started training and yeah. I remember the first training session I did at 45, fucking flogged my guts out. <laughs> I remember I ran out and vomited. Yeah, I remember that. I remember you that. had a few guts to flog too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I did, yeah. I ran out in the street, vomited and came back in and everyone's yeah. like, what are you doing back here? I went, it's round two. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. So, but are there any, uh, what was some of the like the hardest things across, because I'll get to you in a sec, buddy. Um, but what are some of the hardest things? Because you had that first business. I didn't even know that you grew that from the, the start. Uh, some of those big challenges that you had in, in growing. Because obviously, how old was the company when you, you sold it? Uh, it was seven, seven and a half years old. Yeah. yeah. So that's not much older than what Bearded Chap is now. No, that's so right. Yeah, no, I mean, we we sort of, we had, um, because my business partner's family company had a small volume of people, it was a really good learning block for us because mm. I was still playing we had, you know, a handful of people working for them, but we got our systems up and running. And because of that ability to, to get moving um, with a friendly client, so to speak, <coughs> it made all the difference because we weren't rushing around to try and get things set up. So by the time I finished, I came into the business and had the opportunity to to, to grow it on top of the existing revenue, if that makes sense. Yeah. Cracking. So yep. it was a softer entry for me to understand what i was doing basically that ca and cash flow obviously is the biggest thing in yeah. business cash flow is king what yeah. was your role in the business oh it started out just bd basically like okay. as i was learning about the business and then um we had a general manager who did a great job at running the day-to-day -day and then uh he left and then i kind of through that messy period of i guess a transaction sort of picked up the reins and 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 took that for a few years as well um but you know being in a I guess an industry where you're mobilising people that has high level of compliance and attention to detail not being my my strength, uh, you know, I, I grew pretty weary of that pretty quickly. Yeah. So, you know, I prefer growing the business and, and finding the opportunities and how they all tie together and uh, I guess creating uh, something out of nothing. And, and, and for me, that day-to-day -day delivery is not something that I holds my attention that, that deal chaser. I, I can yeah. remember when you asked you were there was a particular recruitment firm that wanted to put you on full time and you said what do you think and I said I don't think that's for you <laughs> being a full time <laughs> employee yeah. it's not really you you no, no. used to run around doing all sorts of different things yeah. and, and, uh, did you ever think you are going to work after like have a normal job or did you always no, want to have your own business no I didn't really know like I, I never chased apart from not finish my uni degree <laughs> yeah because yeah, Barty did. I, I don't even. <laughs> it took me seven years. <laughs> How you did it? Yeah. I don't even been sort of focused on being the best in the world in my position. So yeah. you kind of go. That's a sacrifice, I guess, you make over a period of time when you're trying to do that. You 
you kind of become myoptic on what you're trying to achieve there. Um, and you kind of can't do two things. No. At the same well, you time. Ha- to be the best in the world, you can only do one thing. Yeah, like, that's right. You have to fo- focus. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And whether or not I, I was at ever, ever any stage is, is irrelevant because if you're trying to do that, you've, you've got to put that commitment into it. So, um, yeah, I, I, that's why I say I'm, I was lucky to surround myself with good people that, you know, we constructed a platform that I was able to, to learn about the, the industry. And then, you know, Barty and I came together and uh, the timing was was good for both of us. And um, I think we've our strengths off, offset each other's weaknesses pretty well, yeah. you know. So and Barty, your story is completely different because you uh, finished your degree. What did you do your degree in? Oh, just a business degree, mate. Yeah. yeah. And you got into, f- was it straight into finance? Yeah, so I was... I think one of the reasons I went to the force, I was playing in Italy and I had another year there and, and then the GFC hit and they, in Italy, they pretty much said, you know, <laughs> it's one of the worst. Y- your contracts are now worth half. You can stay and play for half. You can try and take us to court, but you won't win or you can go and find... <laughs> we'll give you free wine. Yeah. <laughs> Is that what Bellasconi was still in? Yeah. yeah Have you listened to that fucking documentary? <laughs> oh my God. Mate, he was the best. He was in when I was over there. He was he was the best president I've ever... There's a um, audio book called uh, Boonga Boonga. Yeah. I'll have to have a look at that. <laughs> I just used to read the news, and this bloke had girlfriends left, right, and centre, and in about Actually, six different places around Italy. That's Italy, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. that's why Barty liked it so much. <laughs> <laughs> bella, Bella. Yeah. I was in in two thousand eight. I was in Rome, walking past, and this doorway opened, full press everywhere. I just stopped, stared at this dude, and it was right in the middle of um all this the craziness of him for like the third time. Old man, I'm like, whatever. I just watched him and walked away at home the night in the camera behind there on TV, just like standing there, just staring at this old guy. But it was Bellascani. It was Bellascani. Didn't know who it was until it was there. Um, was yeah, sorry, man. Uh, yeah, so so that was the story of Italy. So uh, the Western Force said, Do you want to come and play here? They were losing Matt Giddo and Mitchell and a few other older players, and they were sort of um, wanting someone a bit older to try and help some of these young guys like James O'Connell's and whatever through, you know, not, not in the playing sense necessarily, but tr- just try and, you know, mentor them a little bit, I guess. Um, so I, I spoke to a good friend of mine and I said, what do you think? And uh, he said, well, look, if they'll help you get set and get into work, do it. If they don't, stay in Italy. So I spoke to the force and said, look, will you let me work firstly, and you know, after the super rugby season, in the club season, and secondly, will you help me, you know, get a job? And they said yes. So, uh, get there, play the super rugby season, and at the end of it, there was an opportunity to go into um, the oil and gas business or into banking. So yeah, I chose okay. banking at that time as an entry level role. Went in there, didn't know anything about banking, um, but you know, enjoyed it enough to still be doing it now, ten years later. Yeah. Um, Huge learning curve, you know, coming from, as you know, Sharpie says, you know, you're sort of, you know, towards the top of your field, I guess, or you have to be if you, if you, you know. Uh, and again, you pay attention to all the details. So when you go into a role, you're like going to absolutely master it. Well, I, th- I think when you know nothing, you want to know everything. Yeah. You know, and, uh, about about a, a new career. And so I just had to listen and ask questions and all that. And then I had to work out, right, well, if I know nothing and I'm learning, these people have been doing this for 10, 20 years, how do I add value? So I worked out pretty quickly I needed to add value by bringing in business to the bank. Mm. So then it's about, right, I will, um, you know, you've obviously got a network of people who all need banking facilities and then 
right, oh, well, then how do you approach it in a way that doesn't compromise your friendship but still you know, can work for someone by giving them a, a better deal and a better, you know, relationship and whatever? Absolutely. Um, and make it work for the bank and, and, and your, your friend or your, um, your network or your, you know, colleague. Um, so that, that was sort of my approach to it and then I've just sort of learnt along the way. So, um, because you're head of business banking now, aren't you, for BAQ? Yeah, business development for business the business bank. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, look, it's been a great journey. I've learned a lot through, through the last ten years, I guess, in banking and still learning. Is did you find um, it uh, going up through a career progression much different from the sport or the politics of like the rugby club? Because obviously you have the team and then you have. Uh, the the management and the the actual business behind the the team. Did you find it moving across into the finance industry? It was uh, and progressing your career, the politics and and the the networking friendship much different across yeah. the board. Yeah, it was a couple of things. I think when I first went went into uh, the bank there to work, I think the first thing that hit me was, you know, we we were so used to ticking every box and working so hard to every day to to be the best you could be. You know, five o'clock comes and, and there was this particular young lady, five o'clock comes and she just put a pen down and walked. It was about, <laughs> I said, what, what are you doing? Haven't you got to finish that for that customer? Oh, no, I'll do it tomorrow. You know, so <laughs> I, that was a, a foreign sort of concept yeah. for me that you would just you get, get a stop it. and not finish what you're doing and, you know, um, so that, that hit me. Um, do you I find that too as well? Yeah, I was just reflecting. It was like the uh, the Flintstones when the, the you know that cartoon, and the whistle goes, and the, they slide down the dinosaurs <laughs> and go home. <laughs> Actually, I'll like. tell you a quick story yeah. about Tane Randall like that. Um, we were training over at Saracens there, and 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 some of those clubs over there they provide lunch for you. So Tane Tane Randall was you know, obviously oh, a great great All Black. Um, you know, Sharpie played against him several times. Yeah. I think both. Played against him Super Rugby as a great number eight for the All Blacks and All Black captain, and so I thought this would be great to play with this bloke. Anyway, he was the most pathetic trainee you've ever seen. <laughs> so we're in the gym one day, and he's on the chin up bar, and Glenn Jackson comes in. He's about to pull himself up. Tane, lunch is ready, and he just drops and walks out, and that's the end of his <laughs> session. <laughs> <laughs> and then other days he'd be on the bench press reading the paper. This bloke, oh my god, he was an All Black captain. Jesus. So in reflection, it's not just in the f- corporate finance sector. No, no. <laughs> yeah. so, so it wasn't much that much different. Contradicting myself, but um, yeah, I think um, I, I think the other thing I was going to say around the um, oh, just sometimes in in corporate life, I think you see some behaviours that aren't sort of team orientated. Mm. You know that you, you notice that as well when you're mm. in teams your whole life. You see people do things that are. You know, quite selfish at times, and I was going to ask yeah. that. You, what yeah. major lessons that you pulled across from your sporting careers, like, and from teams as well? Because there's obviously the leadership part that you guys both had in, in your teams, as well as those core values as well. Yeah, I, I think the one of the, the difficult things is for uh, sporting pe- sporting uh, people from whichever um, sport it might be, particularly team sports. Um, you know, in the corporate world, there's a lot more bureaucracy and people can manage up and manage down and you got to be put up with all that bull, sort of bullshit. Whereas in sport, it's all black and white to most extents. You know, you've always got people that obviously probably um, 
play more of a political game, but it's far less common than it is in, in, in the, the business side of things, I suppose, because at the end of the day, if you're controlling what you can control, which is playing well on the park, it's very hard to argue with that. Yeah, 100%. Well, guys, uh, we might wrap it up here. Yeah, uh, it's almost been two hours. So, wow. Yeah, yeah right. thank you so. Much. Oh, there's actually more stuff I want to talk about, but <laughs> <laughs> I know how flogged you guys are as well. And thanks so much for your time. But we'll get you back on to talk about. Uh, you've got like the whole uh, commentating stuff and plus the oh, other yeah. business as well. And yeah. and we'll go back in if you if you'd like to come back on again in the future. We'd love to have you back. No worries, mate. Before you we go though, <coughs> we, my um. My wife and I and my yes. a good friend of uh, ours and, and uh, a good winemaker, Ben Riggs, have um, launched a uh, wine brand, Three Kings Wine Merchants, and um, we just wanted to offer all your listeners a, a discount code. So I'm sure Maybe. you can... We'll put in a link below. Yeah, beautiful, mate. So, but so, yeah, um, we'll come back and we'll get onto that story done. so you can tell us about it. You might even bring your wife in and... That'd be good. Get to meet yeah, her as well. So we'll get, get Barty's wife in here as well. Yeah, well, we've got to get another one set <laughs> up. Yeah, so <laughs> Absolutely. Why not? Well, yeah. we'll have the gin distillery soon. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, thanks so much again, guys. And we'll talk to you. Oh, before you go as well, um, people want to follow you on Instagram or Twitter. What's your handle? Good question. I think it's just Nathan Sharp. Nathan Sharp. I'll put in the link below anyway. Yeah, cool. So, and well, I think mine's been hacked. No one wants to follow me. <laughs> 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 yeah, don't follow Barty with two R's. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I saw that pit up. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's get out of here. Thanks right so on. much, guys. Good Thanks, Luke. Thanks. Boom. G'day, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that podcast. We found some bloody interesting stuff for what it was to be a, an Australian Wallabies player and a professional rugby union player in Australia. Um, some pretty good stories there. And then also uh, that transition from life after an athlete um, to the professional world. So hope you enjoyed it. Uh, if you like the podcast, please like, share, and give us a rating, five-star rating, and make a comment. Um, also, Sharpie actually gave one of his companies that we didn't really talk about. He actually hooked us up with a bit of a discount code for you guys. So uh, he has a wine company called Three Kings Wine Merchants. Uh, it's Three King threekingswinemerchants.com.au if you want to check it out and the, the discount code is kingsbeard20 K-I-N-G-S-B-E-A-R-D 20 and you get a nice little surprise from that uh, again we don't advertise here we only ask that you if you uh, I'm really tired tonight if you actually enjoyed the podcast if you added value please share with a friend and tell one friend about it uh, and we really appreciate you listening Thank you so much and we'll see you soon.